right, so we're going to do a uh, another kind of a document here, kind of read through some of the uh, some of what the FAA has to say about you know the uh, the year 2020, and then kind of what they're forecasting for uh, 2021 through uh, 2041, I believe. And uh, I know we're already into 2022, but I guess this will be kind of uh, kind of curious to see where we've come at in the last two years, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then where where we're at, where the FAA is looking at for us to be in the moving forward. Mm-hmm. And that was terrible English for all those listening. So I'm sorry you had to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's all good, man. Uh, especially on my words, especially for something as wide as a snapshot as 20 years, you know, you kind of, when I first saw this, I'm like, wow, that's pretty bold of them to uh, do a snapshot for 20 years. But for something as up and down as aviation, they do tend to have like the same ongoing trends. So you can almost predict it to a certain degree, just based on their amount of growth and how much they've grown, they shrank or had to cut back or, or, dial up some and this is not including like technology itself because technology is good is a whole different mess and that's a whole different level of math but for this for something as this like what the FAA has produced for the next 20 years I mean there's so many different predictions that a lot of people can extrapolate from current and previous data so it's not that far off for someone to snapshot the next 20 years of like, this is what it's going to look like. This is where they're trending. And if they're plus or minus, at least they're not, they're going to fall within this uh, threshold with the exception of some other major crisis besides COVID to come and fuck everything up. <laughs> right. So article begins with um, all sectors of the aerospace industry suffered from the devastating impacts of COVID-19 And while every sector bore those costs, the operational and financial consequences were felt most by the U.S. commercial aviation. But uh, an exception to this was the UAS or unmanned aerial systems um, activity and commercial space launches increased, you know, during the COVID times, which is interesting. So 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 everyone knows when they're reviewing uh, referring to uh, UASs or unmanned here in this scenario, they're not talking about the drones uh, that you see on television. Um, they're referring to like quadcopters and people who do like the commercial real estate and they fly their quadcopters around taking photos of a property or people who fly them leisurely in parks and federal uh, on federal lands, which is a felony, but they still do it anyways. Um, so that's what they're referring to when they're talking about unmanned here, which makes sense, right? Because okay, yeah, everybody got into lockdown, so what am I going to do? Well, I bought a quadcopter online, and now I'm flying it around my yard. Right. So, or like- and then for space launches, um, it's really interesting that actually that the space launches increased. I mean, okay, we had the COVID times, and yeah, the airlines shut down, so I guess the airspace is more open, or there's more open airspace to launch within, but... I would still think there would be delays or whatever else due to, you know, uh, personnel shortages. Right. Or, or may- maybe I'm wrong. Or maybe it's the motivation to get the fuck off the planet, you know? <laughs> or that too. Right. They're like, fuck this place. And then just like, all right, eat, uh, 
so-and-so billionaire wants to go to Mars, sign me up. <laughs> you know, whatever it takes to get a seat in that ride. But well, maybe that's the case too, right? You've got some of these aging, aging multimillionaire movie stars and business tycoons, and they're going, Hey, I'm I'm in my I'm in my mid to late seventies, like time's running short here, and I'm not gonna let the pandemic stop me from from you know a, tr- a ride into space and and so that motivates these uh space companies uh to to put the pedal to the floor and and make it happen right uh i i th- this isn't in the article but i can only assume that possibly the rise in space programs is also the creation of the space force that probably could have drove that too you know you know what's funny is i've seen some space force individuals walking around work yeah, it actually says U.S. Space Force on their on their uniform. Wow, blew me away. Yeah, I mean, I like, I, so what do you, what do you do here then? I'm like, well, the same job I was doing as Air Force uh, just now with this patch. Oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I guess it's all got to start somewhere, though. It it definitely does, right? Like we're laughing now, but they watch like. Uh, around 2041 when everything looks like Star Trek <laughs> where they're the ones looking looking down at us like oh you filthy peasants look at me I'm in space now and I can it takes yeah, me 30 we, minutes we've been on we've terraformed Mar- Mars for 15 years by that point and <laughs> have small colonies on the planet you know how fucking cool would that be though man imagine like actually terraforming Mars we're going on a big tangent here but imagine that physical act of turning Mars into something akin to earth like and they just being like the first batch of humans to actually live in a livable mars you know <laughs> well you know the first people who are going to go out there they're, they're not coming back <laughs> right <laughs> that's the, but that's- think about think about getting out there right and then they give birth and then that that first kid born think about this your claim to fame is you're the first martian <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of neat. Like, oh, my grandfather was the, my great, great grandfather was the first Martian. Like, no way. Uh, I will say this, man, like you, you really missed an opportunity. If you're the first Martian that your name is not Marvin. I mean, I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> Marvin, <laughs> oh, the Martian. Ah, he got you know, me. that'll happen too, right? Like, that's exactly what they would do. I hope so. They That'd would, be they, cool. Or, uh. What was the name of that that character um, when he got stranded on Mars? There was a movie. What was that movie called? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, damn it! It's a uh, wow. It's really escaping me right now. <laughs> uh, I can't think of it. Holy cow! Yeah. Well, anyways, I imagine it'll all be be more like the Space Force uh, that has Steve Carell as the star. <laughs> <laughs> with with the chimpanzee that's fixing the space station. <laughs> yeah, but it ate the dog. There was a dog up there with it too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a funny flick, man. I'm telling you, that series made me laugh. <laughs> uh, All right. So moving on through the article here. Um, it says, you know, US commercial aviation started the year very strong footing, but in March the virus Across the Atlantic and the efforts to contain it, well, across the Atlantic or across the Pacific, I guess it all depends on who you're, which way it traveled. Anyways, uh, 
and the efforts to contain it brought a sharp decline in aviation. Uh, TSA checkpoints uh, throughputs plummeted from 105% to 45%. Ooh, that's and a- then just 5% in April. So from March to April, it dropped all the way from 105. Oh, no. For, from March to uh, from February to April, it went from 105% to, to 5%. Wow. Jeez. What a but, huge you know, we cut. Had lockdowns, stay at home orders, all that kind of stuff. That's a big cut, though, if you really think about that. And that's just the TSA. Imagine like all the other stuff that had to shut down and get uh, revamped or rebranded or restructured. Oh, my God, man. I'm just restructuring and all right. the. All the cleaning protocols and sanitation protocols that had to be implemented. Yeah. All the restructuring already gave me triggers, man. I'm just like, oh my God, bro. (laughs) Especially because like certain programs, they couldn't sustain it no more. So like, okay, we're now we're reallocating you to this other program, which you have no handle in what you're doing or you're not familiar with any of the procedures. Like, okay. And then, so comes time for the chopping block. Who are we going to pick that is the least, the least could, uh, contributing oh it's these guys who got absorbed from a different program so bye like fuck well and it talks about you know kind of some of that here um, airlines worked aggressively to cut expenditures but were constrained by competitive factors including just the desire to survive um, <laughs> you know they slashed flights and routes parked and retired aircraft uh, went to I think we talked about this in um another episode regarding uh, parts but talk about sale leaseback agreements you know mm-hmm. and so instead of instead of just owning outright they're just leasing so times get too hard to just cut the lease early and move on with their life yep yeah labor concessions reduced management compensation offered voluntary leave and early retirement i know a place you and i worked for have has, has gone through that they've offered early retirement to a lot of uh senior leadership yep and a lot of them, um, and a lot of them took it too. I mean, all things considered. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I I don't blame them. You know, it's one of those where, hey, you're 61 years old or 62, and you know, just a few years to go, and and hey, we'll offer you early retirement. You know, I don't, you know, and back then we didn't know how severe any of this was going to be, so we say, well, I'm not going to waste maybe what little time I got left here here at work. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the early retirement and move on. Yep. And then uh, some of these planes where they had to ground, they had to put them in preservation with minimal personnel to do it at best. So now we're we're mothballing planes that were ready to go and sustain the fleet or sustain the the commercial flights that they were assigned to. And then now we're somehow had to find space for these things and, and uh, bubble wrap them somewhere in the corner where they'll supposedly fit, which for all we know, some of them are still there and getting those things flight ready again is going to take a number of personnel. It's going to take a number of raw materials, supplies, all this other stuff, which I'm not too sure if there's any airlines out there who have already factored in how much all that's going to cost for both the labor, the parts and the actual personnel to get it done. I, I I venture to say most of those planes that were mothballed um, will probably remain mothballed, and if not, haven't turned into full-on scavenge birds by this point, you know. Mm-hmm. Or uh, um, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Good. No, okay. Well, I was just going to talk, we were talking about labor and all that. So, so in talking of labor and how we're going to afford to do all this, but we have minimal people, right? So how I allocate the, you know, enough p- personnel, according to BTS, uh, this is the Bureau of Transportation Statistics, not the Korean K-pop band. <laughs> uh, <laughs> airline employment was uh, 86,000 jobs lower um, than the year from the year prior. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. 86,000. That's a lot. Of that is a lot of people, man. And I'm sure the guy, the people on the line right now, they're feeling every bit of that because now that we'll flash forwarding a little bit. Now that things are starting to slowly ramp its way back up, people didn't just come back. They're still having that shortage. So now these individuals that are out of the line have to pull extra shifts, longer hours, just getting worn the fuck out, trying to keep pace with the oncoming uh, uh, right. And as we just talked about cutting compensation. So you're out there and you're like, hey, we need you, but I can't pay you no more. You know, mm-hmm. not ne- not yet anyways. Right. And it's one of those you're just trying to like string people along with that carrot as long as possible. Yeah, they're getting burned out and you're trying to give them the kudos and the high five and the all the pizza parties you can you think you can afford. But um, eventually, though, like somebody's like, bro, five dollars an hour more something, you know? Yeah, something. Anything or some time off. Fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or OK, you can't you can't you can't give me dollars more an hour, but can you double my t- PTO cruel? And that way, when things get semi back to normal or we can start hiring more people then I can afford to, I'll have a bunch of time off built up and I can afford to go and get some R and R in. Right. And then, and then speaking of that, that you mentioned like we get new people in, right? So let's say we do start getting new people in. A lot of these dudes are not going to be seasoned. They're going to be a lot of brand new individuals. So now we got to, oh, sure. we got to take some time out of our normal operating life to spool these individuals up so that they could eventually be workable replacements. Now, that's not a bad thing, but at the same time, you know, like if operations are going to keep on going the way they're trending with the same amount of people that we got, <coughs> it, the learning, yeah. that learning curve is going to be like 90 degrees. You're going to have to learn fast. Well, exactly. I mean, uh, it, you know, every industry kind of goes through it, but maybe not so in such a quantity and so abruptly, you know what I mean? Like, okay, we have, you know, attrition. You know, people retire, people move on, whatever else. And you bring in the new guys and you got to get them spooled up. And okay, maybe you have one or two of that a month. But this is like hundreds, <laughs> thousands even in some instances. Yep. Like, yeah, trying to get that many people spooled up quick isn't isn't as easy. Yep. Uh, I like how here this article it says like fuel prices dropped in 2020 to levels well below those the past 15 years. Uh, the U- the very large U.S. domestic market meant that the leisure segment could travel without fear shifting foreign entry or quarantine requirements. Factors that combined with outright border closures depressed most international demand. In in a nutshell, yeah, I mean, so countries closed down. You're not going. Hey, we're not going to England right now. We're not going to Australia. Yeah, and then for some airlines, that's their money maker right there is those extended flights, right? Yeah, like, long hauls, man. Yeah, you know, I mean, you can state hop every so often, but like. This was a, a previous episode where like a lot of that in-state travel was for people with business or they were doing uh, work-related travel, which they don't do no more because everything has its alternative, which, i.e. like 
uh, Zoom meetings yeah. and stuff like that. Right. Every, everybody figured out that, hey, I don't have to travel to Phoenix to see you face to face. You and I can just get on Zoom and, and discuss it here, here and now from the comfort of our living room. Right. In our, you know, like the, what's it called? The the pandemic dress. Like uh, you got the the business up top and then lazy ass on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or, or yeah. you know, if you're having a really rough night, just roll out into the meeting and just turn your video off and say it's a connection problem. <laughs> yeah, it's a pantsuit without the pants. <laughs> but even with that, right? So the state to state or that in-state travel, it's all nixed because of there's no more business that require it or will allow it. And then the inter- international travel, that's nixed too because border closures. So like, how do you maintain money and still maintain the fleet? that was probably like the biggest choke point for uh, at least majority of the commercial airliners during the pandemic. Well, right. And then like, Oh, borders are open again. Then a week later, Oh, borders are closed again. Oh crap. You know? Yeah. And then people get stuck and everything else. I just saw where in Kabul, there was a New Zealand reporter and she and her husband were, uh, were, you know, reporting there out of New Zealand since the U S withdrew and, how ISIS kind of moved back in and uh, she's about to give birth in, in Kabul. She's doing everything she can to try to get back to back to New Zealand so she can have her, have her baby back there. But New Zealand's so strict on their COVID protocols are like sucks to be you. You know what I mean? Shoot. Shouldn't have left. So she's about to now she's like, God, I'm just, my kids gonna be born in Afghanistan. So it'll be an Afghan national, but which is nothing wrong with that. But she's like, then having to do all the paperwork and stuff and try to get this kid to be able to go home to our homeland, you know, mm-hmm. here in here in Kabul is just going to be a nightmare because there's nobody left around to, to do the paperwork. Yeah, I was feeling. Yep. I, was, I was reading that article there earlier today, and I was man, I felt for her that husband and wife because there's a lot of a lot of issues. Yeah, oh, immigration, anything, man, in any country is going to be fucking right. But hard. just and then you know, from Afghanistan alone to try to. Like, oh, why did your kid at Afghan national? Because you wouldn't let me come home. Again, there's nothing wrong with being an Afghan national or being born there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have a unique story to tell when you're older. But, um, but man, the logistics, anyways, just from, you know, what's been going on there the last 20 years mm-hmm. is, uh, it's just tough, man. Right. Yeah. And it's like, uh, not surprisingly, the sharp, unanticipated fall off demand pushed U.S. airlines into the red. Uh, data for fiscal year 2020 showed that the reporting passenger carriers had a combined operating loss of $32.1 billion compared to an average profit over the previous five years of $22.1 billion. Shoo! So wow. in, in one year, they lost not only all their profits from the previous years, but went negative $10, 10 uh, billion more. Like, Jesus. That's crazy. Oh, man, dude, that, that would hurt my chest so hard. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm uh, just kill me now. <laughs> but it's just not just the dollar amount, right? What, you, we see like the overall picture of the dollars, but then you're also thinking like, where was, this, where was that money going? You had the aircraft itself, the personnel itself, the supplies, the raw materials, all this, all the support systems that make that airline work. And you just nationwide lo- or internationally. Yeah. And you just lost not just only what you made the previous two years, but you lost another two years on top of that. Like, fuck. Oh, that had to suck. Oh, man. That makes my chest hurt just thinking about it. 
Yeah, it would be nice. It would, well, it would be nice, but it would be interesting to see that breakdown as to, okay, we lost $10 billion in revenue for a year. So where did, yeah, where was that 10 billion allocated to and how was each of your, each branch of your overall corporation affected? Mm-hmm. And it says, now it says here, the general aviation industry experienced a decline of 12.4% in deliveries in the U.S. manufactured aircraft, uh, pissing slightly down by 0.1%. Uh, but anyway, and turbines were down by 24.5%. Okay, well, I guess that makes sense. Like, people aren't going to be spending money because they don't know what, what the future is going to bring. Like, I'm going to go buy a little Cessna 152 and when I don't know if I'll be around next year. And then same thing for turbine aircraft. I mean, first of all, those are really expensive, but I, I associate that with corporate, right? Yes. Uh, at least I would. And, and it, overall, it said the article like that with general aviation, they suffered the least uh, out of COVID out of all the different airliners. We're talking airlines, not unmanned. And that, that too also makes sense because with general aviation, for the most part, you either lease it or you own it outright. So you already have an established base of who your customers are going to be versus mm-hmm. like uh, commercial airlines where like you have, let's, let's throw a number like 100 seats and you have to fill all 100. But since all these uh, uh, travel requirements or need for travel is, is really dwindled down. So what, now you need at least 60 seats to maintain yourself. Now you're only reduced to like, say, 20. And and those are 20 that you know that's going to be random. They're not going to show up every single time. So that made them, I understand where this article is going about that general aviation suffered the least out of the airline industries because you, like we said, you already have an established customer base who you know for sure is going to at least lease it or own it outright. And it's the same flow of customers. Maybe ones and twos that come in or drop off, but for the most part, it's the same bunch of people. Exactly. Um, this air carrier activity decreased by 27.5%, while air taxi operations decreased by 24%. So air taxis essentially are the corporate realm. Um, makes sense. Uh, general aviation fell 8%. Military activity decreased by 10 I'm surprised that dropped at all. Yeah, right. Uh, but, but with that... Um, air carrier i'm surprised because god i feel like since everybody was stuck at home like the amazon prime orders just went through the roof yeah you know online ordering for everything i feel like i feel like those would have almost increased unless unless those actual air carriers uh out of safety and whatever for their own personnel decided to shut down routes or whatever else but i feel like man for for cargo haulers that would that that wouldn't have slowed down too much. Yeah. If any, if anything, that was the only one that was really keeping business flowing. But again, probably like with the layoffs or the safety of their of their personnel, and then just not enough people to maintain the pace. That's probably why like it wasn't like exploding. Maybe like the online sales were were doing great, but getting it to and from the places were probably like oh, well, like we got all these packages and uh, we don't have enough means to get them out there, so. Plus or minus two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But but again, though, you know, okay, 
less overall air traffic in the sky. We're not hauling people. We're hauling packages. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, our COVID restrictions are a little less, um, or we have less, you know, less, less issues to deal with. Cause there's less people, right. Two two pilots and whatever else, two pilots and a whole, whole cargo of boxes. But, but then with the decreased fuel prices, I feel like they would have taken advantage of that and said, okay, man, now we can, we're paying less for fuel. We got more open skies. We can pump, you know, pump boxes back and forth. Coast to coast, no problem. True. That's um, true. But again, unless it was a decrease just because they said, okay, we don't want, you know, we want to out, out of the safety and, and, you know, best safety practices for our personnel, we're going to, we're going to reduce flights by 24, 25%. Very true. Very true. And, and I think that's, and without actually diving into proprietary company info and stuff, I think that's, the safest bet to say like we just don't want to jeopardize the safety end up and outpace ourselves where we're gonna be more detrimental to our to the money coming in and all that Ugh, man 2020 sucked <laughs> just look looking num- like we we know it sucked because <clears throat> we went through it but actually seeing the numbers of how just mu- how much damage it did for just one particular industry and just like jesus and I'm sure like, right. Uh, so then take that to every, every industry. Yeah. And especially like someone like shoreline with his industry, they were like full shutdown, like every last one of them, just basically without a job. And I'm sure he can attest to like, just how much that part sucked. Like, well, like, how am I going to pay for whatever else tomorrow? Cause we know like none of the stuff shut down as far as how much you have to pay. It's just your means of having the ability to do so. <laughs> right. Yeah. The bills didn't stop. Fuck, I think my bills actually went up. Uh, now, what, what caused those? I'm not, I can't 100% say, but I know like they didn't, for sure didn't stop. Like We still had to pay rent. We still had to pay all the uh, insurances and amenities that we needed to survive. And sure, yeah, we had a, we, yeah, we have a ton of people that can't make their house payments, so we're going to get that money out of the ones who, who are still paying. Like, fuck. Oh, okay, good, good, great. Like, no, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I'm, I'm going to jump ahead like quite a bit as far as the article is concerned, like especially with the U.S. commercial fleet. Uh, like after shrinking by 22.9% in 2020, that's about 1,700 aircraft. The number of aircraft in the U.S. commercial fleet is forecast to increase from 50 or 5,882 to 8,756 by 2021. That's a lot. So I wonder if that actually happened. I mean, that's a lot. That's like saying like for uh, in the next 20 years, you're going to look at like, say a rate of 2% a year. That, that I don't know how much that means like to the bean counters, but 2% a year increase. That's pretty up there, man. Especially after having such a drastic drop <laughs> in everything. All right. Yeah, I mean that's. I guess it's hopeful. Yeah, uh, but I could I could also say that a good a good number of that expansion is because you got they finally got the time to see which aircraft are just like beyond saving, right? Or they're just yeah, they're how they're, much? I think they realize how much we've been like God. We really were spending a lot in maintenance to keep this old pig in the air, you know? <laughs> right. 
Now, some of them, their legacy archive, and I really feel for it, especially when you have, that's your baby. That's something you grew up with. You cut your teeth with and you've learned all the ins and outs. And then to, for them to finally say, well, just box it up and never see it again. And just, I, I, I felt that, especially with certain aircraft where we had to like, this is going to be its last flight ever, or this is the last one to ever be produced for God knows how long. Uh, example is like, say, the 767-300s, the 777-200s, like, those, those are old, and they're, and they're going to be going away soon. They're going to be replaced by the seven the 730, or sorry, 747 Max, the 787s, and possible shit some, someday soon, the 797, or like the Airbus 350s, those big fucking things. <laughs> Well, they got the 380 out there. Yeah. Oh, dude. It it, it blows my mind like how big some of these planes can get, especially Airbus. I I don't know if that's uh, like an open challenge to see who can make bigger ones, but Airbus planes, man, they get big, especially like the the whale looking ones. Yeah, it looks like a whale that ate too much and it's got (laughs) tiny little pectoral fins, you know, flapping out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the good part is, right, if if this is predicting that it's going to have a rise in about 2% a year, that means forever, uh, it, there's going to be more jobs for people to maintain them or for people to make sure they operate correctly, right? So mm-hmm. directly, indirectly, that's like this is probably an opportune time for someone to uh, become an aircraft technician because it's going it, to, the demand's never going to go away. If anything, the, the math's going to ramp up because everyone's been stuck inside for so long. So like, I'm tired of being oven around my house. I'm tired of being in my state. I'm tired of being in my fucking country. So I'm going to travel the world. So all that demand's going to come rising to the top and they're going to need people to make it happen. So hit, hit. Well, especially as technologies develop and all that stuff. I mean, they're going to need... You need somebody who's more tech savvy than I am. I'm, if you can, you know, it's good to be a maintainer and be have a broad spectrum knowledge. But if you can really learn, I'll say the avionics side of things, like because everything's moving to glass cockpits and and fly by wire and hell, essentially, you don't even have to fly the damn things anymore. They fly themselves. You just got to be there to push buttons. And at what point do we get beyond that? You know? Yeah. So I, my suggestion is to to learn the learn the the new technology. Uh, that's that's where it's at. Most deaf man, and we were seeing this now um, in twenty twenty two, like at the tail end of the pandemic, I guess you can call it, or like post twenty twenty crisis, where like there's options now to do inspections with drones, like we're doing full-on inspections of aircraft with quadcopters nowadays, instead of you having to risk yourself to climb, I'm going to be some feet off the air or off the ground. Let's just make a fucking drone do it. We'll just program it where to go and take pictures as we go and all this and that. And if it's something that we need to address or put physical eyes on it, then we'll climb up there. Like, holy shit. Well, man. And then until how long until you strap some fancy 3d scanner or, or, I don't know what, what another word, but you could almost uh, x-ray vision that thing where you're MRIing the bird, right? So you're flying a, a, a an MRI machine 
over top of the backbone of the aircraft, you know, via quadcopter and, and you're getting a 3D view and pointing out cracks and everything else or, or, you know, smoking rivets and things like that. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. Hell, half the new aircraft now, you, you run a diagnostic check right from the cockpit and it'll tell you everything is wrong with it. Right. Oh, dude. Like, uh, I want to say like the 787 does that. Like it's, it's too smart for itself. Well, air quote, too smart for itself, but like, it's really smart. Like it can tell you like all that diagnostic data. I mean, sure. Some of it is a little too G whiz for most people, but you can, it almost tells you like what you're saying, everything that's wrong with it. It's having too much vibration in the tail. That if the ailerons loose, it's having uh, a trend towards um, bad oil pressure and shit like that. Like, fuck man, all this from the cockpit, where the, where are all these sensors at? And, uh, I remember someone like showed a video of like what some of the avionics bays look like. And it's just like a, a freaking maze of wires and they're all getting tagged, uh, tagged around somewhere. I'm like, holy shit, man. Like it's, it's going to be at yep. some point, like just being a mechanic is not enough. Like you got to have some computer science in your, in your head already. And, or coding or whatever else. But I mean, that's, that's exactly it. That's what I'm saying. Get, get savvy on all the, uh, the new up and coming avionics you know, things because eventually you're, you're all your troubleshooting is going to be done via that. And hell, it's sort of that way now. I mean, you know, even with some engine stuff, you're right. You're trying to figure out why the engine is not performing the way it is and why it's things are degrading and you're plugging into the eek and, and trying to then downloading, you know, fault codes and everything else and having to cipher through what that means. Yep. You, you may remember, uh, some time ago when troubleshooting the deke or troubleshooting the engine control module, it's just a matter of like oil pressure, <laughs> you know, like, oh, well, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the aircraft telling me? You just go look in the cockpit and see the gauges like, okay, so oil pressure's here and oil temperature's here and, and this and that. And you might do like a quick split up like to like 30% or some shit. And like, I know what's wrong. It's this, this and this, right? Like you actually have to mm-hmm. do some legwork to it, but for the most part, it's very mechanically driven, so it's all springs and levers and all the and diaphragms and shit. Nowadays, man, like you almost got to jack into the matrix to figure out what the fuck's wrong. You know, like there's gonna be right. some there's gonna be some point where you're gonna have to be like uh, have like this uh, computer chip embedded in your skin so you can plug into it like a USB port and, and upload yourself to the fucking plane or vice versa. <laughs> Well, that's exactly it. I mean, you'll be reading everything in ones and zeros. It's, um, it's wild, but I mean, it almost take, we're almost to the point now where we've taken, taken troubleshooting skills out of the equation. You don't have to have troubleshooting skills. You plug it in and run the, run the script and it'll tell you exactly, like you said, tell you exactly what's wrong. So you don't even have to, I mean, I, and, and here's the, here's the negative side of that is that, we as maintainers uh, don't develop those good uh, troubleshooting skills like we once had. But the good news is, is that it takes the guesswork out of it and thereby saving time and money, right? I go in, I plug in that damn uh, computer and it tells me everything that's wrong. And, and I'm, you know, parts on order, come there, replace it, run it, do whatever ops checks follow on and you're moving on. Um, but even now with some of the upgraded stuff, I mean, air crew pilots would be able to determine that before they hit the deck, right? Yep. Oh, hey, I got this fault code. I looked at this and it told me that my fuel control is, uh, 
is dropping pressure. It's intermittent on pressure. Okay, well, you know, but by that point, fuel control is okay. It's only so many. It's the one cannon plug and a bunch of internal linkages. They're just going to throw you a new fuel control and tell you to send the other one back. So by the time you show up, the part shows up, you install it, ops check, and move on. Yep. Uh, there were some uh, diagnostic systems. I'm not sure what aircraft it is or what type, but the, the, the diagnostic system, like once you plug it in to like say a, a server or however it is, you download the, the data, it will automatically generate work orders for what's wrong with the plane. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, interesting. Like as soon as you plug it in, right? Like as soon as you have your maintenance computer, you plug it in, it will, it will generate work orders like saying like, Check oil pressure, uh, replace filter, lazy da. I I remember when it was starting to do that. Like, holy shit, like it wrote all our paperwork for us. No, we gotta do sign it off. Now, how likely are you gonna do any of those? Probably not, because you know, mechanics hate paperwork. But I mean, I had a similar setup in a deployed location, but I had like built it all in Excel, you know? Yeah. Like all the jobs that we do repeatedly over and over and over. You know, general just time maintenance, timed maintenance stuff or parts, you know, parts changes, this and that. I mean, I, I, you know, created it in Excel. And so everything was all you had to do is go in there and type in uh, part number, serial number and and e-sign it. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And, um, and that's more or less what that system did. Uh, the only thing uh, when we first started beta testing it, it, it had an issue where it will write up everything, even when it's like. It's within, it's like teetering the line between tolerance and not. So, uh, oh, okay. you know what I mean? Like you have those issues, right? Where an aircraft is like, it, it hits its limit, but only for like a split second. Like, uh, okay. Like, uh, it, engine temperature is supposed to not spike beyond X degrees Celsius. And it hit it like just for a second and it dialed back down. But just because it hit it, it generates that work order when you plug into the, uh, to the server. So like, there's some of these ones where like you had to like maneuver the threshold a little bit. So like, it doesn't keep popping all these uh, work orders that are just like, uh, what, not one time occurrence, but what's the word? Like they were like, they were, there were incidents that did it. that weren't really uh, of merit. Like, like I said, like it just pegged the, pegged the limit once or it went past the limit just for a split second, but just because yeah, it did it. So now I just got. Yeah, I mean, there's ways like you can always clear the fault codes, right? Yep. And then perform the ops check, and if it's you know serious, it'll it'll kick again. Um, some of the stuff that you know the computers won't be able to tell is okay. You're changing a you know hydro pump, and you notice on the bearing races that it's you know some spalling and galling or whatever. Right. Um, the computer would not be able to only notice that. Hey, we've lost fluid. That's because the seal's gone to shit. Okay, but why did the seal go to shit? Well, we wouldn't know that there's falling and galling on that. So, so that's still where the visual inspections are going to come into play. You know, maintainers are always going to have to be there for that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think we're to that stage yet. I, I think you we know. made a. I think we made a joke on this on a previous episode. But imagine like your diagnostic machine is a fucking R2 unit, man. <laughs> oh, just, yeah, that'd be dope. And you just got to plug it into the plane like, all right, R2, what the fuck's wrong with the plane? Beep, beep, beep. We're like, all right. And then we just off we go to go get parts and shit. <laughs> That's essentially what it was. But R2, R2 already had be tapped into the database for the 
warehouse. So he'll already know what's in stock and get things on order. That would be all you're going to have to do is just wait there for your little delivery robot to show up (laughs) and whistle, whistle, beep, whistle, beep, click at you. And then you take your parts and carry on with your day. That'd be so dope, man. I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic to see that happen. I I just can imagine like all the little hiccups we're going to get along the way before we get to that point. (laughs) Uh, Well, think about that though. If you had one assigned to you as a maintainer, right. And they learn how you operate and everything else. And then even if you move from platform to platform or job to job, your, your maintenance, maintenance robot goes with you. That'd be so dope, man. I'm so ready for that. Cause as I'm sure, like, like say with cars, okay, let's, with cars, you know, they have robots that can like, that are programmed and ready to like know where to drill, where to bolt, where to take the chassis and move it from one station to another and do it 100% accurate every single time. We're already at that point now with cars. And shit, I think there's, there's experiments now with having robot trucks. You know, you know what I'm saying? I might, I might've read that yeah. wrong, but like, I want to say they're experimenting now with trucks where you just program it where to go and it just drives it on the freeway and everything to its destination, drops it off and then drives its happy ass back. Like, fuck. <laughs> well, I kind of think about that with cargo haulers, right? How long until, until a, a 747 Max cargo plane, uh, there's no, it's flown by like a, a, how UAVs are flown, right? From a ground control station. It takes off and they fly it across the Pacific and it lands over there. Somebody offloads it and then you load it back up and fly it home and swap out crews every couple of hours or something like that, you know? Right, dude. That'd be so cool. Take a lot of the stress or whatever out of the and fatigue out of the job. Right. And, you know, I well, mean, they probably won't do that right away with, with people, people haulers, but uh, oh, hell with cargo, you know? I mean, if it tanks in the middle of the ocean, well. All you're out is a plane and a bunch of bunch of boxes, right? Now with that, with that, I, this is like assuming all this stuff becomes uh, legal <laughs> or doable. But well, a lot of it is FAA approved now. That's true. The uh, one thing the UAV systems have have, have put a big uh, put a big dent in is is mark is uh, proving that that are capable of flying in manned airspace, you know, with redundancy of their systems and accuracy of systems and lack of, uh, incidents, you know, that's true. Uh, what is it like with drone delivery vehicles, right? The ones that like carry you like your Amazon box and just like drops it off on your driveway and shit and it flies off to wherever the fuck else it needs to go. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that actually launched. I know they were talking about it, but I don't know if that's actually a thing again. I don't know about that either, but, be kind of neat. Yeah. Let's get, let's get someone who's drone savvy. Tell us <laughs> like, cause we have an idea of drones and how they work. I mean, it's basic concept is basically a remote controlled car that flies, but for the bigger ones, like that could carry stuff, not just like the ones you just, you just hook up a GoPro camera on and shit, but the ones that could actually carry stuff, like say a shipping container or a shipping box. And then drop it off from point A to point B without even knowing where it's going or without a physical controller seeing where it's going, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the point where we'll have dedicated landing pads and you'd have pre-marked waypoints. Right. And so you, you type in the flight plan of that, um, 
and type in the flight plan of that aircraft and say, okay, you're, you're at location, you know, you're at launch pad C at Seattle or SeaTac, and I need you to go to, uh, Bush international, uh, pad echo in Houston or something like that. I mean, that's again, long distance, but like you can say, okay, you're at SeaTac and I need you to go downtown. Yep. At, at, at Sears tower point point a, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something like that. No, I get you. And I, we're going on a big time tangent on this one, but I want to say like some aircraft or some newer aircraft with avionics equipment have something to that effect, right? With commercial planes, like uh, landing assist, you know what I mean? Like, especially when you have inclement weather or you can't see uh, where the runway is and shit like that. Like as long as the waypoints are working and the, the antennas on the aircraft are working, it can almost land itself. You know what I mean? And, and, Imagine oh, that. Yeah. Imagine having that as a fail safe, right? Like, let's say, like, your IFR skills are declining. Let's say that they're declining, and you have this like automatic landing system to kind of assist you along the way. So, like, you you might have to guide it along the way, but it's like rolling a bowling ball with the bumpers up versus hitting the gutter and crashing into something. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. I do. Right. Uh, but I mean, like as far as like the outlook is going for at least commercial airlines, we're looking to see at least a 2.2% increase in the fleet itself. Now, hopefully ticket the the availability of these to actually do some flights increases as well. But as we know, like with everyone with the lockdowns and shit, if they've been on and off and people are just sick of being in quarantine and whatnot, they're going to want to travel and they're going to blow big money to go travel. So I... I think we covered this in a previous episode, but I could foresee like the revenue flights, the non-work related revenue flights are going to go through the roof for a good stint before they finally tail off. And every, but by, I, oh, I want to say by that time, like uh, the work travel is going to come back into play and then hopefully have more sustainable aircraft to, to do those flights. Yeah, hopefully we'll have newer, less uh, weather-beaten, better weather-beaten machines. So, so with this article, like, it, there's so many sections to it, and we're we're breaking this down as we go. Like, our biggest ones right now was the commercial aircraft and a little bit of general aviation stuff. Uh, we'll most like, well, most likely on a on a separate episode, go into the other stuff, like say the unmanned stuff, the cargo planes, even, and then just like what the overall spending outlook or growth outlook is looking for each in, uh aviation each, uh, yeah each each section of the aviation industry because there, there's so many like everyone just thinks okay aviation is just <laughs> uh commercial planes maybe a couple of uh farm hoppers and shit but it's such a big community and you can dissect these down to like all each individual sections like you got contracting you got uh corporate stuff you got air uh well air cover on ground is basically corporate <laughs> Uh, you got commercial, you got cargo, you got the military, uh, you got guys with their d- little puddle hoppers. All of it falls up, falls under to the aviation realm, and each and every one of those were affected uh, by, in 2020. So to explore each and every one, it could, it, it's going to be a, a big one. Yeah, we'll just do a kind of a broad overview of, of each of the main sectors. And then, again, if you guys want... Uh, want us to deep dive a particular area 
you know, let us know because obviously we're not experts in all things. So we'll have to do a little research for you. But you got kind of a a topic or a specific area you want to cover, um, you know, shoot us, shoot us a line, let us know, give us some information and we'll uh, do the best of our uh, abilities to do some research and, and give you, give you the info. Most def. And if also, if you're, if you're looking to start a career because of this increase in pace and increase in uh, uh, need, please, by all means, like shoot us a line. We'll do our best to get to answer, like where we can best point you at to get that career going. Uh, we can't exactly give you a career because we're not tied in like that, but we can at least aim you at the point that help you the best. <laughs> yeah, point you in the right direction. Yes. Uh, Good starting point. <laughs> yes. And, and again, we're hopefully aim you in such a place where you don't make the same mistakes as all of us have in the previous lives. <laughs> uh, you were asking final thoughts. Final thoughts for me was the aviation industry got clapped in 2020. And uh, now over the next few years, we're trying to clap back. So <laughs> positive <laughs> things to come. Positive, positive attitude, everybody. Like we're, we're, we're coming up, we're doing what we can. And it, as, as much as it sucks to hear it, it, it comes in waves. It's gonna, it's gonna go up. It's gonna go down. But if you just stick with it and just maintain the paddle, uh, you'll, you'll ride the wave to your destination. Hopefully uh, in the way you would like it to. <laughs> exactly well uh, I think that's a good uh, place to wrap up again if you have any questions or you have any comments you guys like uh, or share some uh, points on how 2020 affected your side of the house please by all means uh, reach us out on social medias visit us on our website shoot us an email all different ways we're always up to hear you guys' feedback and how your story was affected because of how everything went on uh, that note, catch you guys later. Bye, everyone. We'd like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to continue to make episodes, maintain our gear, and create merch for all of our listeners with special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Ryan Frushauer, Dan Schubert, Jenny Dignan, and the ladies of the Dick Talk and Mimosas podcast. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. Visit our shop at cancelformaintenance.com and grab some swag to show off both your support for us and your prowess as an aircraft technician. If you have ideas for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, visit our contact us section and send us a line. We will do what we can to get your ideas or yourself on the show. You can also follow us on social media such as on Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance, Instagram at Kanks, that's C-A-N-X for Maintenance Podcast, or on Twitter at CXMX Podcast. Check out some of our affiliates like Rockwell Time, where they make both rugged and classy watches to fit your lifestyle. Use the code CX4MX and save 10% off your purchase. Support us on Patreon. Our patrons get exclusive perks such as access to our Discord, discounts and early access to merch, special patron-only episodes, and so much more. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll see you next time.